Luke chapter 11 is where you need to be. It is Mother's Day, and moms, we just honor you today. We thank you for being here. We're so grateful for you in our lives. And like I said earlier, we worship God. We do honor our mothers. Now, Mother's Day is hard for some people, and for some people, it's joyous, and for some people, it's a mix of emotions. Whatever emotion you bring to this today, God invites you with that emotion into his presence, where he provides grace in our time of need. And so as we talk about prayer, about entering into God's presence, it's appropriate on Mother's Day, whatever emotion you have, God welcomes you to him. So we are in this third week in our series on prayer, and we're diving into Luke chapter 11. We'll be starting in verse 5. Now, it's important to remember that the the verses right preceding verse 5 are the Lord's prayer that we just prayed. Jesus probably taught the Lord's Prayer on many occasions with his disciples. He taught them on several occasions, and and, uh, every time may have been slightly different. Jesus didn't really intend to give us a, uh, a, he he intended to give us a model for prayer. And so in in the verses preceding in chapter 11, we see Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer. And then coming out of that, Jesus is going to teach us a little bit about prayer. I was reading recently a blog by an avid lover of dandelions. This guy loves dandelions. He just thinks they're great. And, you know, right now dandelions aren't so bad. I mean, you know, they're, they're like fields of yellow. It's beautiful. In about five days, those will be ugly fields of white. But this guy loved dandelions. He loved dandelions in his yard. He just enjoyed it. The only problem was he was in suburbia. And you know, in suburbia, we are a little snobbish about our lawns. We don't like those. So everyone in his neighborhood had perfectly manicured lawns, and he had a yard full of dandelions, and they did not like him at all. He was not the most popular guy in his neighborhood because he had the audacity to defy suburban convention and let the weeds grow. Audacity, the nerve, the shamelessness. Today, this is the word that Jesus picks to teach us about prayer. I want you to remember one thing today. I tell you this all the time. Here's the one thing. Have the audacity to ask bold things of God. Have the audacity in prayer to ask bold things of our God. We are in this series, Prayer According to Jesus, and um, a couple of years ago, we looked at the Lord's Prayer itself, and now we're looking at the teachings of Jesus that surround prayer. The first week we talked about prayer was trust, getting to know God. Last week we talked about praying with persistence, don't quit. Today we're talking about praying with audacity, and our key verse in the text today is Luke 11, verse 8, the second half of it. Jesus says, because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. The new updated NIV, I really like, it says, it says, because of his shameless audacity, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Today, we're going to explore that verse. We're going to explore the context around it and see what Jesus had for us in regards to prayer. You see, we need to have the audacity to ask bold things of God. What is audacity? 
Uh, I think this is probably a pretty good definition. We'll throw it up here on the screen. Audacity is a boldness that risks being seen as rude or disrespectful. The audacity, the nerve, the shamelessness. That's audacity. You, you might know audacity, and probably the best example of it right now is our current president. He seems to care very little about cultural convention or respecting traditions or norms. He risks a lot. He disrespects many people, and he doesn't seem to care. Now, I don't mean to say that's a good thing or a bad thing. You might find it's a good thing. You might find that it's shameless and a bad thing. But he does it nonetheless, and audacity, what he does is a great example of audacity. Jesus takes this concept, and he applies it to prayer. Be audacious in your prayers. Now, why would God want me to be audacious like that? Why would he want me to pray in that way? Well, Jesus loves to use illustrations that make people think. So many times Jesus would share parables and people would leave going, what? What are you talking? His disciples later on would go, hey, Jesus, we got nothing. What, What on earth were you talking about? This is one of these cases where this example, it's like, what? Jesus wants me to be audacious? Jesus tells a story once of a shrewd manager who cut a deal with people who owed money to his boss so that he'd be taken care of. We would put people in jail for that. Jesus goes, oh, by the way, that's a good thing. Be like that. What? I mean, he just does this all the time for us. In this case today, Jesus is going to give an example of someone who prays audaciously. And Jesus wants you to pray with boldness, a prayer that might even seem disrespectful depending on your view of God. That is why to pray an audacious prayer, we have to have a proper view of God. If you're going to have the audacity to ask bold things of God, you need to understand three things in our text today. And the first is this, audacity in prayer starts with reverence. Audacity in prayer starts with reverence reverence. That's the very first thing you need to know. If you are going to risk audacity, it starts with respecting God. If you don't respect him, you can't be audacious. Look at verses five and six of our text. Jesus said to them, this is right after he taught them the Lord's prayer. Jesus said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine is on a journey, has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. You need to understand some things about the cultural convention of hospitality in the first century world. Uh, It was very different than what we think of hospitality here. Hospitality was a cultural requirement of first century Jews. Traveling was a dangerous and exhausting thing in the first century. There were no hotels. If someone came up to you, they would come into a town. If they knew someone at all, they were a friend and they could go to that person and say, I'm on a journey. I need a place to sleep. And you could not say no. It was unthinkable to tell someone no. And because travelers would arrive late, people who traveled didn't want to travel in the heat of the day. They would travel early in the morning. They would rest in the afternoon. They would travel late into the evening. And because of this, this man has someone who shows up at his house at midnight. It's late. He needs a place to stay. And the the man in our story is required 
by cultural convention to say yes. To say no was unthinkable. I try to think of some ways in our culture that it's like things that we think are unthinkable. It would be something crazy like maybe defaming the Statue of Liberty, like taking a can of spray paint to the Statue of Liberty. I mean, like pretty much culturally that would be seen as a no-no. Telling a racist joke. Like, no, you don't do that. Asking a woman if she's pregnant. You just don't do that, right? (laughs) Uh, Actually, Benjamin... Uh, my youngest, Malachi, is five. We were driving down the road yesterday, and there were some joggers out there. And he said, hey, Dad, look at that lady. She looks, she's running, and she looks like she's pregnant. And I said, we're not stopping to ask. <laughs> you know, there's just things you don't do in our culture. And I can tell you that this is the cultural position in which this man has been placed. He has visitors and he has nothing to feed them. In the first century world, you can't just go to the store to the, to the late night come and go and pick up uh, some bread. Bread was baked daily, and you only baked enough bread for your family and your needs. And so this man is going, he has nothing to feed his, his emergency situation, his guests of his emergency situation. So he goes to his neighbor and asks. He needs help. Maybe his neighbor has leftovers. There's a problem, it's midnight, and now he re- risks defying another cultural convention. That is waking up his neighbor. On the one hand, he can't not feed his guests. On the other hand, he shouldn't be waking up his neighbor at midnight. Don't feed the neighbor, tick off my neighbor. Don't feed the visitor, tick off my neighbor. Which do I do? So look at what he does in verse 7. He says, he goes in verse 6, he says, friend of mine is on a journey. I have nothing to set before him. The one inside answers, what are you doing? Don't bother me. The door's locked. My children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. All right, again, we need to go back to understanding a little bit about culture. See, neighbor's friend is a word that we use that in, in Judaism referred to anyone who was of the same situation in life. They were residents of the same town. They lived in the same area. They probably were related because they all were. But this is a friend. It's a term of respect that he's using. And so this man goes up to this one-room house. They they didn't have big houses like we do. There's no two-story houses. And frankly, there was no insulated, secure walls. I mean, these are paper-thin walls or wood with gaps in them. And and so he kind of goes up to this man and he went through the wall. He's, hey, Bob, hey, Bob, wake up. I I need some bread for my visitor. And Bob is really annoyed because Bob is asleep. One room, a house was one room. There were not bedrooms for all the children. They were all probably lined up on mats on the floor next to each other. And this man risked waking Bob's children up. They were all nestled in together in like in one bed, essentially. It's kind of like the Brooks family on Christmas Day. You guys know Christmas Day, our tradition is to have all my children pile in bed with me so that we can read the Christmas story together. In fact, this last year we took a picture. Here, I'll show you. This one was on Facebook. There we are. That's what Bob's house looked like, all of them in one bed. And uh, this is one of our great traditions that that we love uh, as a family. And the bed did not break even. It was amazing. Um, But so this is Bob's situation. Bob's tucked in with his kids in bed, and his neighbor is rudely waking him up. The other aspect was how was a door bolted? Well, a door was bolted with rings and a large piece of wood. 
If Bob gets up and doesn't wake up his children, surely when he clanks this large piece of wood out of the, the metal rings, he's going to wake up. This is going to stir and wake up the whole house. It's rude to be asking. It's audacious. Look at the text continues. The one inside answers, verse 7, don't bother me. The door's locked. My children are with me in bed. I can't give up and give you anything. Verse 8, I tell you, Jesus says, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is a friend, yet because of the man's boldness, shameless audacity, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. This is not merely about friendship. This is not merely Bob saying to his buddy, well, you're in a pinch. I'm your good friend. Of course I'll help you out. No, this is different than that. This is not about friendship. It's about respect. And that's what Jesus says in the text. I tell you, he will not get up and give him the bread because he is a friend. This is not about friendship. This is about cultural respect. He'll get up at this crazy, audacious, bold request, and he'll do it because, one, he wants the guy to be quiet. Two, he recognizes the shamelessness of the act. This was a no-no. He recognizes the position that his friend was in. Because of this, there's this inherent respect between two men. And the whole point is that he doesn't want to break with cultural convention. And he doesn't want his neighbor to have to break with cultural convention. But he's got no choice. So he respects his friend. This is the illustration that Jesus uses to teach us about prayer. You see, if we're going to risk audacity with God, we have to first respect God. I'm not sure that you and I understand what it means to respect God. I I don't know. If we don't respect him, we can't be audacious. We're never asking anything off limits because God is just our buddy and we don't respect him. In Jesus' day, they got the idea of God's holiness. I mean, this temple in Jerusalem existed as a constant reminder that God was not of this world, that God was separate. He was holy. I mean, it was scary to go into the holy place, let alone the holy of holy places. And if we, we make God our buddy, in Jesus' day, they didn't see God this way. Now, it's true that Jesus is our brother and friend, and we explore this, we'll explore this concept later, but it's only amazing that Jesus would call himself our brother if we first understand that God is to be revered. The whole story doesn't even work if there's no reverence. You see, we should be careful how we come to God in prayer, We should be careful. It should bring us a fear to some degree that we might ask the wrong thing in the wrong way. For for Jesus' day, they had this. There was ceremonial cleanliness. If we don't start with reverence, we can't understand friendship. If we don't understand the the concept of God's holiness, we can't then boldly enter in without fear. It's Like, what's the point? It's not amazing. It's not audacious. You see, the gospel doesn't work unless we revere or respect God. I mean, this this is the essence of the gospel, that in our separation from God because of our sin and God's perfect holiness that we revere and respect, we who were sinners were lost 
in broken fellowship. And yet, God came to us in Jesus. He did what we couldn't do. And all of our hope is pinned in this. We revere a God, and this God was audacious enough to come to us. This is the essence of the gospel. If we don't revere God, who cares about sin? If I don't revere God, what does it matter that sin has distanced me from God? If I don't revere God, the incarnation is no longer significant. Why is it special that God bridged the gap and came to us? We might be tempted to go, well, of course God would bridge the gap and come to me because it's me. I'm awesome. Why wouldn't he? When we respect God, we understand our own sinfulness and our own need for God to come to us. Then audacity is something significant. Have the audacity to ask bold things of God. You can't ask something audacious if you don't have a reverence for God. We can ask God for anything. That is the point of the text. We revere this God, and yet we can ask him for anything. And we don't have to fear asking the wrong thing. We don't have to because of what Jesus did for us. What kind of audacious thing should you pray for? Is there something that is too insignificant for God? I mean, one would think he's God. He's got better things to do, uh, like when I lose my car keys. Is that worthy of prayer for the almighty God of the universe? Yes. It's audacious to think that the God of the universe would care about your keys. Oh, man, I, I recently uh, I got a car, bought a car from a friend, and uh, there was a replacement car title involved, and, uh, and I had to wait, and finally the car title came, and I, and I put this car title on my, on, on my counter to, uh, to take it over to, out to Adele and get it registered in my name. And I went that following Monday, and I could not find the car title. And where did I put this car title? Oh, my gosh, so I start looking around. No car title. Hmm. I'll find it. It'll show up. Tuesday comes around. I haven't found the car title yet. Now I'm starting to think, I'm going to have to go back to my friend and ask that he order another replacement car title because of my irresponsibility. Like, I, I couldn't do that. I was starting to freak out. I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to say, I lost the car title. I don't want to do that. So do I pray about this? Do I pray about my own irresponsibility in losing this car title? You bet I did. I prayed, God, please, <laughs> for the sake of my own shame, rescue me. Go out. I'm looking, I'm looking. Like four days later, I found it. I shoved it in a file with all my tax paperwork accidentally. And after rummaging through about everything, I found it. I came in the house rejoicing. I scared the tar out of everyone, right? I came and I jumped in. Yes, I found it. I found it. Yes. God cares about my car title. There's nothing too insignificant for him. That guy's asking for three loaves of bread. There's also nothing too difficult for God. There's nothing you go, oh God, this is a big ask. I don't know. I mean, should I be asking the God of the universe for something this big? The child who is far from God. Is it too much to ask that God would move that child's heart? The ex-spouse who's so bitter with you, is it too much to ask? the strained relationship with your parents, a health crisis, a financial crisis, an endless depression, dreams, hopes. Is there anything too 
big for God. No. When we respect God, the audacity that we have in Jesus to ask becomes so clear, and yet we are invited. Look at verse 9. I say to you, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. And when we should be fearful, we do not have to be. Because of Jesus, audacity in prayer begins with reverence. And then it moves to familiarity. And that's the second thing I want you to know today. Audacity in prayer starts with reverence and then it moves to familiarity, to safety, to friendship. Jesus changes the metaphor here. Now we go from this illustration of this guy who boldly, audaciously asks you now, he gives it a little bit more personal. Verse 11, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Well, that seems mean. I mean, fish was a daily staple, you know. And you're, what dad would go, here, let me, you know, give you something that will torment you. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. Like, what dad does that? If you then, though you are sinful, I mean, that's the idea of evil here, that you are sinful, you know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So here we move to familiarity. God the Father is actually our Father. He loves His children the way a good father loves his children. This is why we sang the song earlier. He's a good, good Father. Now some of you, and it's appropriate to think about this, even on Mother's Day as we think of parents, some of you have a very different experience with your earthly father. You have a very different experience with an early, earthly parent. You know what it's like to be neglected or even abused. Some fathers have abused their kids, withheld affection, lived with anger and hatred. God's not like that. He's a good father. And, and we're sinful and we're not even close to perfect. If we can love our kids, how much more will God love his children? God's a good father. He's our good father. And a father should be familiar to his children. A father should know his children and a child should know his father, should know her father. When I was a kid, one of the things my dad started was a, a, <laughs> a mall walking experience. Right? Uh, we would go over to Merle Hay Mall as a, kid, as a kid. I'd go with him and there was a file cabinet and you could log your miles and laps around the mall. And as a little kid, I, I went with my dad and we mall walked together. We were one of those people. And a little kid, you know, a 10-year-old or 8-year-old with his dad. And I thought it was great. I got to spend my time with my dad. But the real reason I was in it is because we always parked by Bally's Aladdin Arcade. And on the way out, I had the ability to say, hey, dad, could I have a quarter? Back when video games cost a quarter. I could I have a quarter? And, and I had the opportunity to ask my dad, could I play a video game? My dad was, I didn't just go up to a stranger and ask him for a quarter. I asked my dad. He's familiar to me. He didn't always do it, but a lot of times he did. Pop out a quarter and he'd, he'd watch me, you know, 
get killed in Pac-Man or something. But, you know, I mean, I just thought it was great. Imagine a teenager after church goes up to his his father and says, hey, dad, go up to his mother. Hey, mom, uh, can I have 10 bucks so I can go to Jimmy John's and get lunch? You know, I mean, that's happened to me. (laughs) Pull out my wallet. Sorry, I got nothing. Nope, you can't give it to you. Now, what teenager would turn around and look and find a total stranger that she's never met before and goes, hey, will you give me 10 bucks for lunch? You know, we just, they don't do that. There's a, there needs to be a familiarity. What Jesus is saying is that God should be familiar to us. He's not a stranger. This is where audacity comes in. The reverence that we should have for God, it transcends that through the blood of Jesus to familiarity. He's our Father. God's not a stranger. The revered God becomes the familiar God. So our audacious requests become reasonable that we know him. We can ask, is God familiar to you? Is he your good father or is he distant? I mean, just think about it in these terms. If you think about the familiarity of audacious prayer, you have to know God. Do you know him? Prayer actually helps you know God more. The second thing I'd ask you is, do you ask him for kingdom things? Bold, crazy ones, because he's familiar to you. Do you ask God that our church would reach more people in our community with the kingdom news of Jesus? Do you ask God that we would grow in biblical community? I've been praying these kinds of prayers. God, would you help our church to grow in these things? I'm watching it happen. He cares. He answers. We've been praying, God, help sort out our global missions. Since years ago, we sort of uh, had to end our partnership with a country, a closed country in this world because of civil war. What, God, what are we supposed to do next? And I'm watching people stand up. We're sending a team to Ethiopia. God answers prayer. How about, uh, I've been praying for years that God would help our women to grow in connection with each other. And I'm watching what Susan and her women's ministry team is doing. And we have women connecting in a deeper level. Do you ask for things? Because God's familiar to you. Because he cares about you. You see, we have to have the audacity to ask bold things of God. Things that sometimes might seem insignificant. Sometimes that might seem too big. We ask. Because we know him, because he's our father. The third thing I want you to know to think about as we tie this whole text together is audacity in prayer is practiced in community. Audacity starts with reverence, it moves to familiarity, and it's practiced in community. This might not be readily apparent to you when you look at our English translations of the Bible. But in the Greek, all of the yous in this passage are plural yous. We don't even have a plural you in English. A you is you one or you all of you. And now in the South, they say y'all, and that's how they get around it. Uh, So y'all do this, and then I guess there's extra plural when you say all y'all. Like that's more than two. I don't know how that works. Uh, In the Midwest, we say you guys. That's what we mean by plural you. Hey, you guys. Uh Uh-uh. You know, you I'm not a guy, I'm a a woman. That doesn't matter in the Midwest. You're all guys, you guys. That's our plural you. All of the yous in this passage are y'alls, okay? The reason for this is that Jesus is talking to all of his disciples. 
The second reason is Jesus is saying that audacious prayer is something that's best practiced in community. For Jesus, this concept of prayer, yes, there's an individualized concept of prayer, but there's also this concept of praying as something we should do together. Friends, you need to pray with other people. Oh, you say, Dave, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm sorry, I don't pray in front of other people. That's not me. I don't do that stuff. Well, prayer is a conversation with a God who is familiar to you. I mean, I would ask you, do you talk to other people? Have you ever spoken to another person? Because if you can speak to another person, you can pray with another person. (laughs) That's because prayer is a conversation. You've got to get over it. Prayer is essential to the disciple. Prayer is absolutely essential. You need to pray in community. It's essential. Christians pray together. This is the safe place to grow in that. There are are not many ways to mess up public prayer. I mean, we're all afraid, well, if I pray with someone else, like, or I pray in front of someone, everyone's going to be thinking, oh, what a terrible prayer that was. Well, that's baloney. There's not many ways to mess up public prayer. Perhaps if you uh, started maybe with Dear Buddha, okay, that would be a a mess up public prayer. Or if you're praying and you just drop the F-bomb in the middle of your public prayer, like that's, I mean, actually God would still listen to you, but you know, that's going to give some people some stumbling blocks along the way. I mean, these are serious mess ups. It is really hard to mess up public prayer. You just pray and everyone goes, hey, I'll pray with that person. When I say public prayer, I don't mean what Jess Savage did here today and prayed on stage. That's part of it. I'm just talking about praying with somebody else, two of you together, three of you together, just praying. You think, oh, I could never learn to do that. I could never learn. I just couldn't do it. Well, I've thought that about my children with potty training too. I, I didn't think they would ever learn this. I mean, they were all, you know, like, I'm like, they're never going to get this. Um, and yet, here I got four teenagers, and all of them are potty trained. It's amazing. <laughs> like, you know, like all of them. You, can, you may think you can never learn to pray publicly. I promise you, you can. And we do it through practice. Uh, the first time I ever played the guitar, it was bad. It was bad. I, I didn't have lessons. I just... And the first thing I put my hands on that, I'm like, oh, that really hurts. I remember that. I feel like there's, there's wire cutting into my fingers. Oh, that's what it is. And so, I mean, I hadn't developed calluses yet, and it's just terrible. And so I had practiced. But, and then I would go, and I would go to my friends in my youth group at the time. Like Four of them were learning guitar. And I'd say, okay, I, I, I got the, the D chord down. Now, now help me figure out what's next. And they go, well, here's what a G chord looks like. Oh, I didn't practice, and we practiced together, and then all of a sudden I had like four chords, and if you know four, you can play about any worship song, and so uh, all of a sudden we were sitting in youth group, and they go, oh, you just sit over here, and we're not going to plug you in, Dave, but you can just strum along. Okay, you know, they're strumming along, I'm playing, oh, this is how, pl- you know, it goes with a group, and and uh, yeah, I'll, I'll never forget, I've been playing guitar for like three months and my youth pastor says, hey, Dave, oh, we're going to be at this national conference and there's this like little meeting ahead of time with, it's small, just a couple hundred people. And could you play guitar for that? Okay, <laughs> right? It was horrible, you know? But we, we learn by doing. 
If you want to pray in community and have, it takes an audacity to it. But you will learn. You will learn. Will you pray for me? Will you pray with someone? Will you pray with me? If we're going to make a kingdom impact on our community around the world, we have to pray together. Will you pray for me right now? Um, moms, it's Mother's Day. Let's do a little application to you. Your children need you to pray with them. They need it. Not just now I lay me down to sleep stuff. They need to hear you pray for the things that are important. Whether you pray at nighttime, whether you pray with them through the day, you pray at a meal, we build these regular rhythms into our lives. They need to know when you're hurting, they need to see you pray. Moms, we need you to do this for us. Moms of all ages. Moms who have kids of all ages. Whether your child is 3 or 30 or older than that. They need to see you pray. The most audacious thing you could ask God for. We need to pray together. And if you understand the reverence and holiness of God, the most audacious thing that you could ask for is God himself. That's what Moses did. Moses was up on the mount. We're going to look at this. We're doing Exodus next year. We're going to spend most of it next year in the book of Exodus. I'm so excited about it. We'll come to this story where Moses goes up on the, on the mount. And God says, you know, what do you want? And Moses says, God, I want you. I want to see your glory. Well, God says, Moses, if I do that, you'll die. So let's not do that. But let's do this. I'll let you see the entrails, the the glory after I pass it fading away. It's enough to make his face glow. Uh, Moses wanted God himself. That is a crazy audacious prayer, a thing to ask God for. Here's what's amazing in the text. (laughs) The, the, The text ends. How much more will the Father in heaven give you what? Himself, the Holy Spirit, God's very presence. The most audacious thing you can ask for is more of God. And if you believe in Jesus, God sends his spirit to live in you. This is incredible. It's audacious. So I have this thought, and I want to leave you with this. God has given you his spirit. What could be more audacious than that? So pray for big things. Pray for friends to come to Jesus, relationships to be healed. Pray for globally brutal dictators to be toppled. Pray that he would use you in some way, in the great way in the kingdom of God. And pray that you would know God more. Have the audacity to to ask bold things of God. Our worship team is going to come forward and and we're going to sing a closing song together. and And I chose this song because in Hebrews talks about boldly entering the throne of God through Jesus so that the Lamb of God, His blood, makes a way for us to the Father to boldly enter into His presence. The second thing I did to the worship team is I made them change all the words to plural, you plural words. So we're going to sing this together about us entering God's presence through the Lamb of God. Let me pray as we walk into this song together. Heavenly Father, we thank you through Jesus that you have made a way for us to shameless audacity, with shameless audacity to walk into your presence. 
And oh, we want to know you more. And so together we come to you. Would you meet us here as you invite us into your presence? Would you meet us here and increase in our hearts our knowledge of you and our audacity to ask big things? In Jesus' name, amen.